Everything here at Keyboard Kimura is presented by OneBone, the first size-inclusive, big and tall brand. If you've been rocking with me for a while, you know I've been rocking with OneBone for a little bit now, and there are a bunch of reasons why. In addition to the fact that I straight up love their gear, from the different styles of pants and shorts, to the shirt varieties, hoodies, zips, the hot sauce, the whole collection, I'm in. But it's also because they understand that size doesn't matter, fit does. I'm a bigger guy and I carry it all in my belly, which meant for me, finding shirts that were long enough to not be revealing when I raised my arms or that kept me covered if I had to crouch down to pick something up was a challenge, but One Bone solved that. All the tops have added length to cover the gap between your shirt and your pants and everything is made from premium fabrics with tops ranging in size from medium to 8XL and bottoms going from a waist size of 30 to 65 inches. There is a sizing guide on the website that makes it easy to find the absolute right fit. And from flyweight to heavyweight and beyond, One Bone has got you covered. They offer free exchanges and returns to guarantee your perfect fit. And you can even buy now and pay later with four interest-free payments. On top of that, they're Canadian. And for me, that's important. As a One Bone ambassador, I've got you covered with a one-time promo code for 15% off your entire order. All you have to do is visit the link in the show notes, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite, and enter the promo code Spencer Kite. That's my name, Spencer Kite, all caps, all one word, at checkout, and you get 15% off your entire order. It is, as I said, a one-time use code. But I'm confident that once you cop some One Bone gear and become part of the One Bone family yourself, you'll understand why my entire wardrobe consists of One Bone apparel. Go check out Drop 17, which hit the site a couple of days ago, featuring four new colors in the scoop and the V-neck t-shirts, plus the new Outwork pants in military green and black. I've got an order going in this week. You should too. One Bone, for big and all. Welcome everybody to the Keyboard Tomorrow Podcast, episode 38, presented by One Bone. I am your host, friendly neighborhood Spencer Randy, Spencer Kite, joined today by Antoine Jackson to discuss some emerging talents in the UFC. This is a thing Antoine and I have talked about a little bit on Twitter. We've thrown out some names, had a couple of laughs, we've talked about it privately, and as we got talking a couple of weeks ago, I was like, we need to just like... We need to just sit down and do this. We need to just chop it up. We need to get you back on the show. And so here we are to discuss some emerging talents. But before we get to that, how are you, my good friend? Man, I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. I'm Fall is here now, so the temperatures are cooling down in Texas. It's not triple digits, so uh, we're going back outside now. You know, so <laughs> we're allowed to be outside. It's it's okay yeah. to be out in the world. These are important. It's things. okay. We were talking <laughs> off air of like what it's like up here. It is it is autumn here as well, which means overcast and rain, and a lack of natural light pouring into my office as I got all summer. But <laughs> listen, as I tell everybody, that's like, why don't you move back east? I would rather deal with rain than snow because I don't have yeah. to shovel rain. It just goes that's away, and true. so. I'm good with it. This is my favorite. I will never complain about hoodie weather. I'm always in for hoodie weather. So we are here. Yeah. But we are here yeah. today to talk about some emerging talents in the UFC, as I said, off the top. So you and I have discussed things like this privately in DMs, in text messages many times over, over the last few months. And as we watch events and sort of just like reach out to one another, like, hey, People are sleeping on this dude. And I think yeah. you're right about this dude. And this guy's the real deal. It made sense for us to get here and do this. One of the things I just want to lay out for, for people listening and watching is that we both sort of approach this and, and it's awesome to see. We didn't lay out any like ground rules or like guidelines of like, they can't be X, Y, or Z. We just said, let's, let's put a list together and, and we haven't compared notes. I know a couple on yours. I'm sure you know a couple that will be on mine. 
but we just said let's get into it. But we both took the mostly unranked individuals approach to this. We were talking about UFC fighters, mostly unranked, as I said to you just a minute ago. I've got a couple that are ranked, but they're like ranked in shallow divisions. And I still think people are sleeping on them. And over the next couple of fights, they will get into that like, oh, people are really paying attention. But since I'm well aware of one individual who is on your list, why don't we get started there? We'll have this conversation because yeah. I agree completely. The floor is yours to discuss Roman Kopilov. Roman Kopilov. I mean, if you're not on the hype train at this point, it's it's starting to build up. You know, you need to hurry up and get on. Roman Kopilov, I think he he's been he's four and two in the UFC, and his last four uh fights uh have been spectacular, you know, to put it simply. Um I think it was a short notice fight against Josh uh Friend, and um he did exactly what I thought he was gonna do. He he got him out of there, um, made him look um I guess not, not. I wouldn't say like an amateur, but he made him look very simplistic and got him out of there with a liver punch. I mean, I think that um, I, I almost wish that he was in a lower weight class, but he's only fought up. And before he was in the UFC, he fought uh, at light heavyweight. Um, but I mean, the same buzz that I get uh, or that I had for Shavkat uh, Rachmanov when he was coming up is the same feeling I get when I look at Roman. Fighting, I don't think that he has the same tools as uh, somebody like a Shavkat, but that explosion, that uh, ability to take somebody out from a uh, in a striking um, battle, like he's got all of that in spades. Um, I definitely think that when it comes around and we're talking about this next year, he's going to be ranked and he's going to be in important fights. Uh, whether it be in, it's going to be in the top ten. I- I'll say that straight up, it's going to be in the top ten, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, he should be ranked already. We are recording this on Monday. The rankings haven't updated from the weekend, but like I look at the bottom of the middleweight division and Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, who is on a good run himself, Mm -hmm. is currently number 15. Andre Muniz is number 14. Chris Curtis is number 13. I understand that Roman Kopilov hasn't beaten a ranked opponent yet, but when you rattle off four wins in 13 months and they're all stoppages and they're all violent, vicious, most recent one is a complete outclassing of of Josh Fremd. That to me is one of those ones where it's like, if we're not putting him in the rankings, if he can't be 15, then he's at least like 16 or 17 and everybody needs to be paying attention. I have no idea what the ceiling is. But as I said, going into that fight with Josh Fremd and coming out of that fight with Josh Fremd, I'm here for the ride. I've got my ticket on the bandwagon and I want to just see how far it can go because I think for me with him and I think for a lot of people with him, we get or got hung up on those initial two appearances, which mm-hmm. there was a year off between the first UFC appearances for his last fight outside of the UFC. And then his first UFC appearance, which was a loss to Carl Roberson. Then there was two years off between the, the second loss to Albert Duraev, where if I remember correctly, he was coming back in the third round of that fight. And it was one of those ones where we all Mm -hmm. kind of thought Albert Duraev was going to run through him. And then it got real competitive. And it was like, this is interesting. And then he turned up in Paris last year and just kicked the head off of Alessio de Chirico. And since then it's been, it's just been like, okay, every time he shows up, I'm like, let me just see if this is real. Let me see what the, let me see if what we just saw was was legit. And each time out, he's shown it to be legit. I really liked the Claudio Hibero fight because he had yes. to deal with some ever- adversity. He had to get Absolutely. stung and figure out, like, I need to get into space. And mm-hmm. then the Josh Fremd fight was just that one where I look at a bunch of those guys in the lower third of the top 15, and I'm like, please let him get in there with some of these dudes because mm-hmm. the technical abilities – the varied striking to all levels defensively pretty responsible, pretty sound. Let's just see some of these fights. Absolutely. Like I wonder when he starts to get in there with more grappling heavy uh, fighters, as he gets into the ranking, starts to move up the rankings. Like how is that going to look? What is his uh, defense going to look like? And is he going to be able to generate offense after defending takedowns? I, I do 
wonder about that. But if you if he's able to keep it in a striking area and, you know, he's able to implore, you know, all of his his ranges. And uh, I mean, sky's the limit. Like, I can't wait to see him against Shafcock one day. Like, that's going to be a dream fight for me. Well, and I think one of the things that I've seen from his last few fights compared to those initial fights is that he's become somebody that is like, look, I don't want to grapple. And so my method to not grapple is to be active, is to go yeah. out here and be the guy that's throwing and setting the tone. Like Josh Rem didn't get time to ever set up, to ever reset, to ever breathe because there was mm-hmm. always just something. It was always just touch, touch, whack, touch, touch, yeah. hammer the body, throw something at you that you have to deal with, faint something. And that's one of those things that, as much as takedown defense is certainly going to be a crucial factor for him going forward. To me, that activity is a thing that I think fewer people understand and recognize as a really important weapon, almost defensively to an extent of like, Mm -hmm. you can't get into your wrestling. You can't get into your grappling. If you're constantly having to deal with me, just chipping away and touching and sticking a jab in your face and kicking your leg out and, never giving you a chance to reset. And I think he's, I think he's recognized that and implemented that volume into his approach, which is, as we've seen over these last four fights, paid incredible dividends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways to, um, I mean, that's why it's mixed martial arts. You, you, you're able to use so many different techniques in different ways and being a striker as he is, um, he's taken that, and done things that other strikers like Israel Adesanya, he's more of a counter striker. He's going to wait and see what you're going to do and then make his decisions off of that. Well, Roman's going to say, well, I'm just going to dictate this fight and I'll never let you make any decisions. And for him so far at this point, it's, it's been working. I'm curious how that's going to work um, as things progress, but I am very, very, very high on Yeah, it's going to be really curious to see what the next matchup is as I look at the division. The other part of it that that makes him somebody that I completely agree with this assessment of emerging talent that people should be paying attention to is middleweight is is in a real interesting kind of unsettled spot right now. Obviously, we have Sean Strickland now at the top of the division. We don't Mm -hmm. know whether we're getting a rematch there. The top end is what it is with Drake's Duplessis and Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier doing his sort of Sean Strickland owes me a fight. I already beat that man. And if he wants his man card back, he's got to come and see me. But (laughs) below that, we've got a bunch of interesting guys that haven't been in that top space yet, that haven't been in that upper tier, but are showing a little bit of promise, like Roman Delize, like Brendan Allen. Nasruddin Imovov has a big fight coming up. A guy that Mm -hmm. will be on my list is fighting Nasruddin Imovov in Ikram Aliskarov. Paul Craig is on the come up. And so there's some of those matchups that like, let me see Kopilov entered into that sort of mix because if he can beat one of those lower third of the top 15 guys, then the road to that top 10 and the road to that top five at middleweight, at least isn't as daunting as it is in other places. That's true. That is very, very true. It's an easier division to kind of skate up the rankings. I mean, Roman Delize, he's uh, matched up against Jared Cannonier, And if he gets a win there, like that right. puts him, right back in the mix, um, even though, you know, he's had uh, some some setbacks. So, like, the the middleweight division, like you said, it's it's one of those divisions where you can make up um, for something that didn't go well pretty quickly. Yeah, um, two good even, wins. E- puts even Sean. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Sean Strickland came into this year off a split decision loss to Jared Cannonier in the final fight of 2022. He headlined the first event of 2023. He said yes to fighting Abbas Magomedov and then was in the right place at the right time. Got the title opportunity and took full advantage of it. And now he is the UFC middleweight champion, which I think is one of those sentences that if you had said it even even four months ago, people would have been like, (laughs) nah, you're crazy. Yeah. But here we are. For sure. So I mentioned Ikram. Ikram Aliskarov is on my list. He is somebody I initially, when they had first announced, and I don't know, whether it was pre-announced and Paulo Costa was like, I didn't sign that contract. But when he got <laughs> announced to fight Paulo Costa in Salt Lake City, I was super excited. 
because this is a guy coming off contender series last year, waltzes into his debut and dispatches Phil Haas. Like as soon as he sees Phil Haas is hurt, he puts Phil Haas away to the shadow realm. Like mm-hmm. not, no questions. We're not playing here. You're hurt. We're done. I'm getting my hand raised and I'm facing a top five opponent next. He's now matched up with Nasruddin Imavov next month in Abu Dhabi. I think it is a terrific matchup to get a real sense of where this guy is. He's mm-hmm. someone, a few months ago, I wrote a piece for OSDB Sports talking about these athletes in the UFC that are a little bit older than typical prospects, that have more experience than typical prospects, that we can just kind of fast track a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Alyssa is one of those to... guys to me. Yeah, very similar to, I mean, not exactly. They don't have the same storylines as like Alex Pajeda, where he was able to do a, um, a speed run of the division. But um, but Ikram can can make some strides because Imovov is a name. He's not a massive name, but people within the UFC circles know who that is. There's And, and there's a reason that Ikram was matched up against uh, Paulo Costa. Right. Because he's he's legit. Um, he's flying under the radar, and I, and I actually think that you know when Dana does those, if you if you don't know now you know situations like this should be one of those. Fights. This should definitely because, be one of those fights. Yeah, this is going to definitely be a scrap, and I I think that you know even Imovov has come off of uh, you know some some up and down situations. Um, either one of those men can really put a stamp on their place in the division with a win, but I think that. Ikram's gonna gonna walk out of there with a win. I, I, I'm almost, I'm I would say I'm seventy thirty that Ikram <laughs> walks out of there with that with that uh, win. I'm super interested by finish. I'm super interested in the fight. Obviously, he's a combat sambo world champion. Looked great, as I said in the Phil Haas fight. It's just one of those guys to me that feels like he already knows exactly who he is, knows how to play to his strengths. And for someone like Imovov, who still feels like he's developing a little bit, that hasn't quite Mm -hmm. dialed all those things in, Aliskarov gets the chance to go in there, as you said, with somebody that hardcore fans know is a talent, is an emerging talent himself, has a number next to his name, has been in a main event, right? Headlined first show of the year against Sean Strickland. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like one of those opportunities. It's a massive card where everybody's going to be paying attention if you go out and pick up a second straight dominant performance and then people remember, oh, by the way, they wanted to just toss him in there with Paulo Costa, who's facing Hamza Chimaev on the same card. Then we start getting the like, I think I really need to pay attention to this guy. And for me, yeah. he's somebody that kind of similar to what we talked about with Kapilov. Once he gets to that point where they are facing ranked fighters and top 10 fighters, the understanding of where these guys fit is going to ramp up real quick. And you and I are going to be, you know, protecting our seats on the bandwagon and not wanting to squeeze <laughs> in next to all these folks that are getting on late. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and also when, when they start moving up the card, I know that Chael, yeah. uh, uncle Chael, he always talks about people's placement on the card. And that actually is important because of the eyes that they get on them, the amount of media attention that they get. And the more that he moves up the card, um, you know, closer to uh, the main card on pay-per-views or, um, you know, perhaps next year headlining a fight night, that's when, you know, those opportunities really start to, to kick in. And I think that he's, I mean, if he's able to get past this particular test, like, dude's going to shoot up there really fast. Yeah, I've always been someone that, will advocate for regardless of where fighters are on the, on the card. We as voices that cover this sport know how good they are and need to talk about them regardless. But the point you made is, is a hundred percent correct. Most people look at the fight card and go, the best fighters are on the main card. The -hmm. best fight is the main event. And that's just not true. And so if, if you are Kapilov stuck on the prelims, if you are Aliskarov behind all of these big names, like, I think it's great that he's going to be surrounded by big names in Abu Dhabi for UFC 294 because it shows sort of that he belongs with them. But going yeah. forward, it, it's why we advocate for some of these, I'm sure, names that we will mention here, getting co-main event and main event opportunities, be it fight nights or televised prelims 
of pay-per-view shows because those things carry weight and carry value. It's why I try. It's why I love writing the fighters on the rise series every week of like, here's just three names. Okay. Like, listen, they're not the main, most of the time it's not the main event, but these are people that are doing good things. Pay attention. And so far this year, they've, they've done pretty well in the octagon. So I'll give myself a little Barry Horowitz pat on my own back for that one. (laughs) All right. Who else is on your list? Give me another name. All right. So here's another one. Here's a good one. Um, and he's got a fight coming up soon too. Uh, I got David Onama, um, out of Uganda. So he's been in the UFC for five fights, three and two. Um, but what I think kind of pushes him over is one, his size for the division. He's five eleven. So there's a lot of featherweights who are shorter who have um, smaller uh, measurables. So that's a benefit. He's explosive. He's nasty. Um, and he's not one-dimensional. So he can do things on the feet. But when when I first saw him, I was worried about him getting taken down. I was like, okay, if he gets taken down, it's going to be a problem. But he's very competent on the ground. And he's a scrapper. So if he gets hurt, he's able to fight out of those situations and stay um, uh, mindful of what's going on. And he's a finisher. I have super high hopes for David Onama in that division. Um, and, I mean, I think that he's taken the right fights to get up there. He's very active as well. He doesn't mind, you know, he's not trying to cherry pick his fights. He's going to take whatever fight comes because he thinks he's that good. And I think he's that good as well. So David Onama is is definitely 2024. He will be ranked at some point. Yeah, debuted short notice against Mason Jones, up a division, held his own, came Mm -hmm. down to featherweight, beat Mowgli Benitez in the first round, chaotic fight with Nate Landwehr last year, back into the win column with a good finish of Gabriel Silva, who is a very competent fighter, a very dangerous talent himself. Mm -hmm. Definitely a guy I like as well. You mentioned that he has a fight coming up, and I'm just trying to scroll through here and see who he's got. He's got Lucas Alexander in Sao Paulo. That'll be an Mm -hmm. interesting test. I... I like seeing when these younger guys, these kind of inexperienced guys go on the road for one. Cause he fought a lot. He came up through FAC in Kansas city, in the Missouri area. He was training, obviously at glory MMA and kickboxing with James Krause and that crew has moved mm-hmm. on. Understandably I believe he's at marathon with Trey Ogden and miles Johns now. Um, mm-hmm. But this is one where it's like, okay, we're getting on a plane and we're going to his backyard. And all of those people are going to be screaming Uva Morera at me. We're going to find out. It's It really is, to me, one of those things that I want to see for a lot of emerging talents. But I agree with your assessment here that the size is a big factor. The power is a big factor. The finishing instincts. We saw it even when there's... It's funny. I remember the fight with Garrett Armfield last year who was competing mm-hmm. up a division and they had fought as as amateurs in the past as well. Even when the technique isn't perfect even when it isn't necessarily clean he's so dangerous and effective with things that he's able Mm -hmm. to get it done i remember talking with my good friend harry powell from severe mma about it of like you look at him and go man if you could just dial some of that stuff in you're a real problem and even Mm -hmm. with it not dialed in he's a problem and so as somebody that i think he's 28 years old as he gets settled in as he gets sort of established here and comfortable absolutely agree that he can be somebody at 145 going forward that creates problems for people for sure i could see him you know going back up uh, as he gets older as you know his his real real man strength starts to right. kick in and it's harder to get those pounds off like i could see him at 155 being an issue too um i mean held his own with mason jones right out of the shoot yeah. on i believe four days notice I think he took the fight on a Monday and walked in on Saturday and was like, cool, we're just going to go. And it's a two division, former two division cage warriors champion. That's that tells you something. Yeah. I mean, dude is, is he's not scared of of a fight. He's not here for anything but to scrap. And I can appreciate that. I see that in the way that he carries himself throughout the fight. And I mean, I think that he goes down there and, uh, I think he beats Lucas in two. 
Look, hopefully we can enough. refer back to this. Look, we yeah, we will, we will hold right. on to this. And if you're wrong, we'll just like that tape got lost. I'm real sorry. Delete that. Delete I have that. a lot. Of, I have a lot of those. I have a bunch of those. <laughs> so some people may think this is a Homer pick or a recency bias pick, but I don't care. My next name is Lupe Godinez. Now, okay. the Homer okay. element of it is that I live 45 minutes away from Vancouver. So I have heard about and known about Lupe Godinez for a while. Ironically, I learned about Lupe Godinez through her sisters, who are world-class wrestlers, who wrestled here collegiately at the school down the block from my house. And so a friend of mine at a newspaper was doing a story on on the Godinez sisters, or Godinez Gazalas, as Anna's name is, and said, hey, have you heard about their sister who's this MMA fighter and seems to be okay? And that was my introduction to Lupe. She looked amazing against Elise Reed. I don't want to overreact because, and I say this, not as throwing shade at Elise Reed. It is Elise Reed. And stylistically, it's a very favorable matchup for Lupe Godinez. But the things that I've really liked, I love that she's gone officially, full on, no disrespect to the crew at Titan MMA here in Vancouver. She's gone full on, down to Lobo, down to work with Fernando Grasso, Alexa Grasso, Diego Lopez, and that whole crew. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that growth every time out. Her hands looked so much better last yeah. time out. The wrestling has always been there. The power has always been there. The strength has always been there. She looks like somebody that showed up in the UFC with, I believe, five fights and now has had six or seven in the UFC and is putting it all together. Like it's starting to gel. And as I look at that division, sort of the same thing that we were talking about with middleweight, there's a bunch of names there at strawweight who are kind of not necessarily ripe for the picking, but might be on their way out. Michelle Watterson Gomez is still ranked. Angie Hill, who Lupe Godinez has fought, is the only person to beat her in her last six fights. She's there. Marina Rodriguez looked terrific on the weekend, but I have no idea whether she is still a legitimate contender or kind of settling into that middle of the pack veteran test for everybody. Mm -hmm. I think we'll find that out in her next assignment, whatever that is, but it feels like there's a path for Lupe Godinez going forward. And I would not be surprised. She's currently ranked number 14. She's somebody that to me will be in the top 10 next year and top 10 going forward with greater, greater upside. Absolutely. Lupi is the truth. So when I saw her fight uh, Cynthia Calvillo versus that demolishing of <laughs> right. that we just saw, right. like, it's night and day. Like, right. I don't know what drills she's been doing, but she needs to keep doing those because she, I mean, and, and like you said, it is Elise Reed, no shade to her, but as far as like the level of competition, but like, the striking that I saw when she was fighting Cynthia Calvillo versus what I saw against Elise Reed, it's night and day. Um, yeah. And she's made so many strides. Like she, like you said, she's a, with the, the right camp, you know, training with the champ, uh, training with somebody who's so much bigger than her um, and, and putting that kind of pressure on her on a daily basis is just going to make her better. And there's a lot of favorable matchups when it comes to moving up the division. Like you said, Michelle Watterson, she might not be ranked the same time tomorrow uh, right. based on what, what I just saw. But I I would love to see her actually fight somebody like a Marina Rodriguez um, just to see, like, where is she at? Because um, Marina looked amazing, but that may just because Michelle's on her way out. I don't know. But, right. um, but that would be an amazing test for Lupe, and I think that she's up for it. I definitely think that she's going to be top 10, um, next year. Um, and I really want to see more of her personality. Um, and hopefully we get to see that, you know, as like you said, with us um, in the MMA media, really pushing these fighters, um, you know, putting them on the pedestal that they should be on based on their performances. Yeah. I mean, I look at the division and I think I'd really like to see her against Luana Pinheiro. I'd really like to see her against somebody like Mackenzie Dern or Werner Jandiroba. Even Tabitha Ricci, get me get me some grappling in there and see whose hands are better. There just feels like there's opportunities. And with the combination for her, even taking out the, the development of her hands, just the physicality combined with the wrestling makes her really yeah. interesting to me. Because you have somebody like Ricci who is a 
very technical grappler, terrific mm -hmm. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but it's it's not a strength thing. It's a technique thing. It's a wear you down. It's a you make mistakes. And my yeah. grappling is better. Loopy can pick you up and just throw you around, as we saw against Elise Reed, but even as we saw in the debut all the way back against Jessica Panay. You mentioned the mm -hmm. Cynthia Calvillo fight and the growth from that one to this one that we just saw. I believe that fight was the last one that she was up here in Vancouver for. The next two, Emily Ducote and Elise Reed, were, I'm down here full-time. I'm getting this work in with Fernando Grasso. I'm getting this work in with Alexa and with Irene Aldana and with Diego Lopez and this whole crew. And it's just been such an elevation that I can't yeah. wait to see the next one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that she's, I mean, that's people underestimate the the value of moving to a camp that more caters, that caters more to your skill. It's not necessarily saying that the camp that you are in is a bad camp is that you just need to be in one that's going to work for you as far as like what's going to push you to the next level, you know, i.e. Uh, TJ Dillashaw moving from uh, team alpha male to, you know, to training uh, uh, elsewhere, like, that changed his entire career. Um, and I feel like this could be something like that for her. Um, and uh, more fighters should probably really uh, look into that you know, as far as like just being loyal to themselves versus being right. loyal to a team. Yeah, there, there comes a point, and I know a lot of people do, they're like, oh, they need to go to a bigger gym. For me, it's not necessarily that you need to go to a bigger gym. It's exactly what you just articulated. You need to find... Mm -hmm people that are going to maximize what you can do and help you in the areas where you have shortfalls. If that is a bigger gym, if that means going to an ATT or a kill cliff or an extreme couture, fine. So be it. But if that means for Lupe Godinez going back to Mexico and training with a relatively small team at Lobo, but a good team that has all the fundamental pieces that she needs. Perfect. Yeah. Seems like a great, collaboration tremendous results last time out can't wait to see what 2024 holds who is somebody else on your list Ooh, okay looking at my list who should i go with i'm gonna go with michael morales he's so, on my list <laughs> there's one so i mean what can, he's three and oh in the ufc um i actually did see him in person um when he when they came here to dallas so um i was able to see you know, just what he can do. But his last fight against Max Griffin, which is a tough fight, um, friend of the pod, um, uh, Max Griffin, a veteran, somebody who's not going to take it easy on you, who's not going to make it easy on you. And, you know, his middle name is Payne for a reason. And Michael Morales looked like he belongs. He, he looked like, not like a 24-year-old boy. He looked like a, a man in there. And I... I mean, he's got the look. He's, you know, got the swag that apparently comes from Ecuador, like Cheeto. Um, <laughs> like, he's got the total package. Um, I don't know if he, does he speak English? I don't know if he's speaking English. I don't think he does comfortably yet, is the way I will put it. I think there's certainly some, yeah. but he will be somebody that for the next little while will be relying on the homie Fabiano Busquet. Well, um, if he can can build that in, I mean, they got a future star on their hands with, with Michael Morales. And he's not taking any easy fights either. Um, he's fighting Jake Matthews, who could be another person that's on the list um, because of what he's able to do. Um, he's a, a person that could be a problem in the division too. But Michael Morales, I mean, I don't know. Like, dude's a finisher. He's nasty, just like uh, David Onama is, like, I definitely think that he's going to be ranked as well uh, when, when we do this uh, next year. Yeah, 24 years old, 3-0 in the UFC, 15-0 overall, six feet tall, big long reach on him, finished Trevin Giles, finished Adam Fugit, as you mentioned, a, a good tough test against our mutual friend and friend of these shows, Max Payne Griffin, last time out. It was one of those fights to me that I was really happy that it didn't end early. I was really happy that it was difficult from a talent assessment standpoint, because you mm -hmm. got to get through that. Like Max is one of those dudes that, as you said, he's not going to make it easy for you. He's going to be in your face. It's going to be ugly. It's going to hurt. It's going to suck. And if you can beat him, that tells me something. 
and he was able yeah. to edge out the victory. It's super close, competitive fight. I'm okay with that at 24. I'm okay mm-hmm. with that as you're just really, truly getting your toes wet in the UFC. I think this fight with Jake Matthews is one that has the potential to be the real eye-opener for a lot of people. Because yeah. Jake Matthews is somebody that has been in the UFC for a number of years now, fought in the UFC for a decade, still only 29, which is just ridiculous. Okay. Coming off a good win, has been in there with some good names, has some good wins in the bank. I think people always forget that he absolutely dominated Li Jingliang like four or five years ago. Yes. But there's yes, been a couple did. setbacks and there's been a couple fights against strikers where it's like, uh, this hasn't gone well, Jake Matthews. And I have a feeling that Michael Morales might be one of those matchups for Jake Matthews where it's like, sorry, this isn't your night. This young fella here is going to show out and make everybody realize why you and I have him on our list of emerging talents in the UFC. For sure. I think for, for Michael, um, what I want to see is his decision-making. Like when, when it comes to, you know, younger fighters, just like in regular life, it, your decision-making is what makes you stand apart from other people and people who are longer in the tooth in the game, you know, when they're 29, 30, 31, they tend to make better decisions within the fight itself. And I'm curious what decisions a young Michael Morales is going to make when things don't necessarily go the way that he thought that they were going to go. Because like you said, Jake Matthews has been doing this in the UFC for a decade, even though he's still young. Right. He's still been doing it for quite a while. So when adversity hits, what are you going to do when, when, when that hits? And, and especially on a bigger stage. Um, as things progress for him, the stage is just going to continue to get larger and larger. And so what's going to happen when, when Jake gets you against the cage and you know, starts teeing off on you? What are you going to do? Um, I think that he's going to pass that test. But... We'll we shall see, see that this, it's this is why we take these tests. Yeah. Keyboard Kamara podcast presented by one bony Spencer kite, Antoine Jackson at walk underscore MMA on Twitter, making the walk MMA on YouTube. Go follow and subscribe. They put out great stuff. We're talking about emerging talents in the UFC. We just covered one that we, we both share another one on my list. Rinya Nakamura. Ooh, so, I, was the lunatic last year that got up in the middle of the night to cover Road to UFC, where Rinya Nakamura absolutely shone. Dominated his way to the finals. The finals was in February on that card that was supposed to be in South Korea and then was moved to the Apex, but started on the South Korean time. So very few of us were up paying attention to it. But he shone there, won his subsequent fight last time out against Fernie Garcia. And the reason... He was going to be on my list regardless prior to the last fight. But the reason he is an absolute must for me is that he said the exact right thing after beating Fernie Garcia of guys, I want to fight for the title. I want to be the best, but please just give me patience. I've only been doing this for a couple of fights. It's only been a couple of years. Let me just get settled. This is a guy Mm -hmm. that won the under 23 world championships in freestyle wrestling was on an Olympic track, COVID hit, Summer Olympics are getting delayed, and he went, I'm not waiting around, and moved to MMA. And in two years, he made it to the UFC. Guys like that, yeah, guys like that, I think we throw around words like elite and world-class a little too freely in this space sometimes. He's an elite talent. From a just base, fundamental skill set, what we've seen so far, what he's got in the back pocket. He feels like an elite talent to me. I have no idea if he's going to put it all together. No idea where that ceiling rests, but I am firmly planted on the bandwagon, waiting to see every one of these fights because I think the upside is abundant. Bantamweight is tough as nails. Making headway in that division is a killer, but he's somebody that I think has the ability to get there over these next couple of years. I hope he does get that patience from the matchmakers. I hope there isn't a hustle to get this next Japanese star or someone from the Pacific Rim markets that they can have as a big star where he's hustled in too quickly. Because I think if he's given time to grow and develop, 
he can be somebody that is a real factor in this division going forward. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, he's got the right, like, bases. You know, he's got the the wrestling. He's got submissions. I mean, anybody that finishes somebody with a key lock, they got <laughs> they they got submissions that they, you know, in their bag. Um, he's got hands. You know, he's finished people with his hands. Like, those those three things, if you got those three things, those basics, I mean, Sean Strickland just showed us you can win a championship with using the basics. So, like, if they are able to slow play him like he's asking them to do, which a lot of times you don't get that. Like you said, most people want to rock it to the top. Right. But he's like, I need to learn. I need to get experience. And I think that that's where the Olympic experience that he's had gives him some wisdom. You know, he's gone through that entire process and knows that it's not something that you can learn overnight, even even in your wins, which most of the wins you're not going to learn the most. Um, you, you you need some time to get to where you're trying to get to. And he knows that, you know, there's some different puzzles that I need to solve on my way moving up the rankings. And I want to take each step instead of trying to skip them. Um, I can definitely appreciate that. And, and I agree. He, he is somebody who definitely has a future in that shark tank of the division um and there's the good thing about that is there's bantamweights who aren't ranked who are really really good fighters who will give him a test um on the way to being ranked so i i definitely agree that he can he can make a move in that in that division yeah the reason i always advocate for bantamweight as my number one division in the ufc is because of that talent sort of how it's all spread out you have emerging talents at every tier in terms of the hierarchy, but you also have those veteran stalwarts and those very good tests at each spot along the way. Like I can think through even just now off the top of my head, a couple different veteran fights along the way that progress him potentially like he can face a Davy Grant, but then still have a test like Pedro Munoz a couple fights later, that is a different test at a different tier at a different level. And if he gets there, it's mm-hmm. telling us different things at every step. I don't think you have that in every division. Obviously there are some where you can find it lightweight, obviously welterweight pretty regularly featherweight, I think is getting there. A couple of the women's divisions, women's flyweight is in that mix as well. But mm-hmm. if you give this kid two years, if you get to, I think I said after his last fight, after his went over Freddie Garcia, he's 28 right now. If you give him four or five fights over the next two years, progressing incrementally, taking those mm-hmm. little steps forward, you might end up with a fighter that is 12, 13 and 0 at 30 years old in his athletic prime, figured out who he is as a fighter, figured out how to deploy his considerable weapons. 30 isn't the end of the world. Like it's not the end of the line, especially given that he has low mileage in MMA could be a real problem. Really looking forward to seeing where he gets to over these next couple of years. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think he definitely has a future for sure. All right. Who is somebody else that piques your interest? So I'm going to say Felipe Dos Santos. Also on the, my list. Okay. See, I mean, yeah. I have, I have, a, I, be, I will be honest. I have a long list, but this one was a obvious as I was going through of like, oh, hell yes. Yeah, I mean, the moment that fight started with Manel Cop, I mean, and, I, and I, I've seen Felipe Dos Santos before that. But when he got in there, it's just when you see them against somebody that right. you know, okay, they're certified, they're stamped. Like, Manel Cop is legit, you good, know. Good that, word, that's a, certified. I'm stealing yeah, that. <laughs> he's a top five fighter. And for Felipe Dos Santos to go in there and look like he belongs, yeah, he lost the fight, but it was very close, and he had a lot of moments. And unfortunately, he's going to get the the stigma of you know the Charles Oliveira Jr. But but I mean, he's he's his own man, and he does fight a lot like Charles, but he has his own flavor to it. And I think that whomever he's matched up with uh, next is definitely going to feel his wrath and, and get that that comeback. He's going to finish whoever it is. I don't care who it is they put in front of him. He's going to finish. Um, just He's just, he's vicious, man. Like, he's looking for a finish. And that's what made Charles great. That's what's going to make him good, too. Um, somebody who's going out there to really decapitate whoever it is that's across from him. 
Um, everything he throws is with horrible intentions. And he's clearly, you know, got some some game on the ground. You don't come out of shoot the box and not have a, a ground game. So, I mean, dude's a problem. He's a problem for sure. Yeah, the you're spot on with the you see him in there with someone like Manel Cape that you know that you have that measure for and you go, oh, this kid, like we all thought he's going to get like, this is just, this is too much. You're 22. Yeah. You're supposed to be on the contender series. And now you're deciding to fly to the other side of the world to face this dude that feels like he could and maybe should be a title contender. Yeah. I All the credit in the world, son, but this isn't going to go well. And then he goes out there and is like, nah, it's going to go fine. Sure. I lost, but like, the takeaway for me from that fight was that Felipe Dos Santos absolutely belongs and get him in there with somebody, maybe not even in the top 15. Cause I think you can slow play this a little bit. He's 22 years old. We don't necessarily yeah, yeah. need to hustle him in time. there, but he's already time. shown that if you want to, this could be somebody that we build around and continue to cultivate and grow. You mentioned that he's going to get saddled with the, you know, Charles Oliveira Jr., Charles Oliveira Light, or part two, I'd take mm -hmm. it. If I'm him, I'd take it. I'd be like, sure, cool. You want to compare me to that dude who might yeah. be the best lightweight on the planet, who went through all of this stuff to get to where he got to at 30 years old and later into his career when most of us didn't expect it to happen? I'm good with that. 15-year career yeah. in the UFC? Bet. I'm in. He looked amazing. Mm -hmm. It was a mm -hmm. tremendous performance. And if anybody watching that fight or this program now didn't come away from it going, I'm circling this name and I'm paying attention next time he fights. You're mm -hmm. crazy. You're doing it wrong. I don't like telling people that they're doing things wrong very often, but if you're not paying attention to this kid, you're doing it wrong. He's the goods. For sure. For sure. He's, I mean, and especially in the, in, in the flyweight division that needs more right. people to stand out. I um, mean, they've got, you know, the, the, the Alexander Pantojas, they got the Morenos and, uh, Roy Valls, but, and, and now, you know, since that crazy press conference, they got the Manel, uh, cops, but like, they need more people to stand out to really, uh, solidify their position in the UFC as far as their placement on cards. Because we've we've had that conversation before. Yep. You know, Brandon Roval should not be fighting on a prelim <laughs> card. It's, it doesn't make sense. Yep. But you know, not fighting on the prelims like, next. Oh no, he's not fighting and in that co-main event for that belt. Yeah, Felipe Dos Santos and his just the violence that he brings and the finishing ability. Like I can definitely see him infusing more lifeblood into that particular division and. Um, getting more eyeballs on it. So like you said, if if people aren't circling that name and saying, you know, when when Marcel puts it on Twitter that that he's matched up against somebody, like you need to make sure that you put that on your calendar because he's it's gonna be good regardless. Shouts to Marcel Dorf, big Marcel, I believe twenty four on Twitter. Yeah. Always breaking always breaking fights fight news, a guy that I go to all the time when I need to pull posters for thumbnails for youtube and substack so go follow big marcel as well just to to wrap what you're saying about the division i've got the rankings here in front of me and there's just a bunch of guys that as always no disrespect to them but they just feel like dudes that i'm not necessarily all that excited about seeing like alex perez like tim elliott like tahir ulembekov like david dvorak that have been around and had their opportunities and kind of topped out where they topped out for whatever mm -hmm. reason. And like, look, I'm not knocking Alex Perez, who's had a ton of health issues over the last couple of years, but there's that room to grow similar to what we were talking about with Lupe Godinez, where there's these names that are ahead of a bunch of these people. And I think there's a bunch of folks at flyweight that we could sit here and do probably 45 minutes just on flyweight talking about guys like Tatsuro Tyra and, various other names in that division even steve ursag who is ranked going to make his his second appearance in the ufc here shortly that yeah. are on the way up that are going to get an opportunity over these next couple of years to sort of supplant some of those stalwarts some of those veteran names that are holding down places in the rankings because it feels like 
we're at a bit of a generational shift and we're at a bit of a skill and talent shift throughout the sport. And I think we're going to see that over these next couple of years as guys like Felipe Dos Santos show up on short notice and give Manel Cape a hell of a fight in Sydney. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. What one more, one got? more for me. One more for me. I'm trying to figure out what division I want to talk about. If there's one that we haven't talked about, I'm going to throw out just a couple of names that are like, not sure, but just want to see more Mick Parkin at heavyweight. Thought he looked good against Jamal Pogues. Mm-hmm. Looks like a natural heavyweight is the nice way I will put that. Doesn't look like a dude <laughs> that like me is a heavyweight because I just don't exercise. And I like fast food and fried <laughs> food and good eats and barbecue and chicken wings and stuff like that. Looks like a dude that just happens to be 245, 250 pounds. Trains with Tom Aspinall and a really great crew of people, Phil DeFries, over in England. Somebody I just want to see more of. As is mm-hmm. Vitor Petrino at light heavyweight. He got oh, yeah. literally he got literally walked through his fight with Anton Turkali by his corner and and his last fight. And I can't remember who it was off the top of my head. But as a guy that is at that point where he needs his coaches shouting at him all the things to do. So he's he's green as can be. He is yeah. still wet behind the ears. But light heavyweight is you win two or three, and suddenly you're facing a name, and this dude looks the part. 26, big, strong, powerful. If he starts figuring some of this stuff out, he could be somebody that makes some waves. His but physical one, attributes are insane. He reminds yeah. me of a young Tiago Santos. Yes. Just a big, powerful, you do not want to get hit by this dude. He will ruin your day. Yes. I think both of the Basharat brothers are worth paying yes. attention to. Shout to Javid and Farid. Both had good performances lately. Certainly looking forward to seeing Javid out there against Victor Henry. I believe that is on that card in Abu Dhabi as well. But the one I'm going to settle on is Narulo Aliyev. Oh, just okay. feels like another one of those. Look, it's a, it's a young, still a little bit raw, still a little bit green. I believe he's 23 years old, unbeaten, just going to wrestle the hell out of you for now. And if he adds some more onto it, like feels like, and I don't like making these sorts of comparisons very often, but kind of just has a little bit of that young Islam feeling to me of like, mm-hmm. right now he's just grappling, but as he gets the rest of it put together, let's just see. He has a fight coming up, I believe, uh, in New York City. As part of that card at Madison Square Garden, I'm just going to pull up and see who it is because I can't remember off the top of my mind. And it's somebody, it's Matoy Rombeski, who has looked good so far in two fights, is a veteran, oh, yeah. is another grappler, showed some good kickboxing last time out. It feels like a real good test. It feels like a real chance to get a sense of where he fits in the division in terms of like, are we ready to move forward? Do we need to just hang back? Do we need to hold tight for a minute? But through two fights that I've seen, both contender series and then into his UFC debut, somebody I'm definitely paying long-term attention to. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, you you hit a spot on as far as, like, his wrestling. Um, but the good thing about, you know, wrestling, if you're going to have a base that <laughs> right. can carry you through fights, that's the one. Um, and if you need to start to add on and bolt on abilities after that, Wrestling is the one that you want to have, and especially, you know, the type of wrestling that he has, um, especially for that division, for the lightweight division. There's a lot of people at the lower end of, of the top 15 and right outside the top 15 who are specialists in one particular area. And if he's able to get a hold of any of those people, it's going to be a bad night for him. And, you know, as he continues to grow and adds uh, those striking skills, um, on, I think that he he's a future uh, problem as long as they play it the right way. Right. As long as they, you know, give him just a little bit here and there. And luckily, he's not in a situation like a like a Patty Pimblet where they they got to push him out there because he's so big, he's so popular. They need to see him. He's not in that position, so they're able to kind of take their time and uh, slow play it. So I think that he's in a good position. He has a good base. And he has a really good opportunity to start moving up um, and move towards the top 15 um, at the right pace. Yeah, 23 years old, 8-0 overall, 1-0 in the UFC. 
the slow I'm I'm so fascinated over these next couple of years to just see the decision making that gets made by McMaynard and Sean Shelby in terms of who gets booked hard, who gets booked quickly, who gets pushed, who they take a little bit of that. Let's go patiently here. Let's let's allow them to grow. Because as you said, a lot of it doesn't necessarily matter about experience. It's marketability. It's fan interest. It's things of that nature. Right now, Aliyev doesn't have that here in North America, but we saw in his last fight a massive crowd following in his native yeah. Tajikistan. I think that's going to be a thing that as we continue to go forward, that could help propel him a little bit. But he feels to me like a guy that can kind of get a little bit of that. I mean, Islam got that on his way up, right? Lost his yep. second fight in the UFC, and then it was, we'll just take our time. Everybody tells us that he's great, but he's not going to face the guy at the top end of the division right now in Khabib because they're training partners, close friends, coaches, all of those things. Yep. But let's just see. So we can maybe get two or th I would like to see, obviously he's got a fight coming up to close out this year, get two or three more next year, see if we can get that to 10, 11, 12, and 0. And just see what the progression is. Just, I feel like we're always in a hurry, especially with young fighters, where it's mm -hmm. like, no, get them in there. I want to see it now. It's like everybody takes two, three, four years to get settled, to get comfortable, to figure out who they are and how to best deploy their weapons. Not everybody gets there. But let's give mm -hmm. as many people the opportunity to do that as possible because it's not like we're running out of names at lightweight right now no we're not not at all i mean i think that a lot of fighters come in and you know they see you know the poster of john jones on their wall and they're like i'm gonna beat that record you know and you know raul rosas macy barber like don't put too much on yourself take your time and, and get up there when you are supposed to get up there not when john got up there because john benefited from things that you don't necessarily benefit from right now Light heavyweight was a very different division, you know, during that time for him. And so, you know, you come in, uh, you know, uh, like a Muhammad uh, Mokayev, like, right. yeah, you're, le you're legit, you're legit. But let's take our time and see, uh, you know, what you have. The UFC has progressed just like everything else has. And it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot more, more minefields on the way to the top of the division than there used to be. And so it's not as easy. Um, so I, I think that as long as he doesn't put that expectation, those expectations on himself um, and has reasonable expectations, then he'll make a reasonable rise up the rankings. John Jones benefited from being an otherworldly talent for all the, all the different yeah. things we can say and detract from John Jones about, we always have to give him credit of good Lord. He blew up on the scene and, and you were just like, this is different. You could see it right away. The talent was another level. And so you mentioned Raul Rosas Jr. there. Let's, let's wrap with him. Cause he's a guy that I'm mm -hmm. so conflicted about because I think of all the people that have shown up and said, I'm going to beat John Jones's record. I give him the greatest chance to do it simply because he has five years to do it, which is a lot mm -hmm. of time to figure out all the stuff you got to figure out and progress and develop and get to the right camps and add all the right pieces. Yeah. But now I three fights they, in, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure. I think that now, right now, it, you know, if you were to look at him and you know, okay, you have to place your bet and see if he's gonna break that record, I would bet that he's not. But that's not necessarily an indictment an indictment on him. I think that it's just a hard thing to do. Yeah. Especially in, in that division. Okay, yeah. that's that's tough in that division, but yeah, um, but his striking, and I said this on our podcast, um, I thought that he was going to win that fight, but I, I wanted to see what he did from a striking per, uh, perspective. Because when he fought um, Christian, um, who is a man, you know, he's not fighting right. boys. When he fought Christian, Christian treated him like he was his little brother. Right. He was, and, you know, that's when the, the technical uh, or the uh, ability to be technical in striking went all the way away. And he was just out there just scrapping at the at the high school flagpole. And that's not going to work in the UFC. And when he fought um, um, Terrence, is it Terrence Mitchell? Um, when he fought him, 
Terrence Mitchell had more issues on his side. So I right. feel like that wasn't necessarily a test of his striking. And that's Agreed. really what I'm worried about is his striking. Brandon Moreno said that when they were training together, you know, his BJJ is elite. It's amazing. But you have to do so many things to get it down to your world. You know, right. ask Damian Maya. Uh, you know, like it's a very difficult thing to get people down to that world. You're going to have to, in all the fights, they start standing. So if you're not able to put those pieces together, then you're going to be subject to whomever you're facing, what their skill set is. And that's not what you want to do if you're trying to become champ, especially in that division. So I think that he has to continue to put the pieces together from a um, striking perspective, but also a wrestling uh, perspective. And then also just, Stop getting hit. Get your get you know, move your head, move out of the way. I know that's easier said than done, but he puts himself in the fire um just on bravado and that's gonna shorten your career for sure. Especially in that division. Especially in that division. Well, the thing the thing for me that I wanted to see going into that fight, because I felt like that was a matchup similar to you, as you just said, where this is just being handed to you. You could probably win this whenever, however you want to win this. So to me, I wanted to see if he would use that opportunity to figure some stuff out, to work on some stuff, to be a little more controlled, to be a little more reserved and strategic and tactical. And instead, they just went out there and went ham and it was done in under a minute and it doesn't tell me anything. It doesn't teach me anything. I want to see those Ian Gary performances from last year against Darian Weeks and Gabriel Green, where it's, I'm going to take these 15 minutes and I'm going to use them to work on some of my range. I'm going to work on some of my clinch work along the fence. I'm going to work on takedown defense. I'm going to build up my cardio and continue to get that live experience because so far I've just run through everything pretty easily. The next fight for Raul Rosas Jr. isn't going to be a layup. This was the right decision to get him moving in the right direction. You're not going to put him on Noche UFC as one of the sort of stars of the show and big sort of centerpieces of the show against somebody that's going to beat him. He got the layup. You've gotten the get Mm -hmm. right fight. You got to slow the roll. You got to stop talking about, I can be a superstar. I'm different. I'm built different. Christian Rodriguez, as you said, big brothered you earlier this year. So don't tell me that you can be a superstar. Don't tell me that you are built different. You're on a different level. Because we just saw that if you're on a different level, what's that man? What's that dude? Because he handled you. It wasn't close. So just go to the gym, work on the stuff, stop talking, and come and show me something. Not against Terrence Mitchell. Not against the guy that's beating up cans in Alaska. Show me something against one of these dudes that means something because this is a division, as we talked about earlier with Brynja Nakamura. There's those veterans that you can measure yourself against at every point along the way. There's also a whole bunch of other young kids that are coming up along the way that will happily make you feel terrible about yourself if you want to go mm-hmm. in there and mix it up with them. So be careful what you're asking for, but careful what you're calling yourself as you get going forward here, Raul Rosas Jr. I wish you the best of luck, but be careful. For sure. Because, like, if he did any of that against someone who's not ranked but is good, like Drew Dober, dude, that's no, that's absolutely not going to work for you. Drew will knock you out of the ring. You can't do that. So, yeah, like you said, go back to the gym, work on your skills, work on, on your setups, work on your feints, work on all of those things, and then come back against somebody legit. And, you know, let's see, see what you've learned. But I mean, even yeah, just I mean, looking at other fighters in the bantamweight division that have kind of a comparable number of appearances in the UFC, Raul Rosas Jr. against Garrett Armfield, Garrett Armfield boxes the face off of him. Oh, yeah. Just goes out there and boxes him up. Put him in there with a veteran like Cody Gibson. I'd be interested in a test like that. Put him in that there against somebody like i think the name that i advocated for when i did my like post fight matchmaking after noche ufc was fellow canadian chad ann helliger who has a ton of experience but is one and one in the ufc isn't a guy that's going to blow the doors off you 
but we'll beat you if you're not ready. Beat Brady Heastan before Brady went into the Ultimate Fighter house. And so feels like the right kind of test. Let's see you in there against a guy like that that knows who he is, can do a little bit of everything pretty well, moves well, good conditioning, tons of experience. Beat one of those guys and then we can talk. So would you have him match up against somebody from an age perspective? Somebody, would you just disregard age or would you match match him up against somebody that's kind of in the similar age range, maybe like in their 20s, mid-20s, something like that? So I think I would go probably to that more veteran test because I don't necessarily need to saddle either he or the other really young fighter. Like there's no one in his actual age bracket, right? He turns 19 next month. You've got guys like Cameron Simon who are 22 coming up on 23 at the end of the year. But really you're talking about, he would have to be fighting somebody that's 23 to 27. And for me, I would rather have him pass that more, even more veteran test of a guy like Chad and Helliger, who is 36. I believe you could put him in there with a 31 year old, like Brad Katona put him in there with even a 29 year old like Damone Blackshear just to just to get that measure just to sort of set even even for him of like this is what it's going to take for you to just move forward right now I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. want to throw him in there with another inexperienced guy because I don't think it tells me that much but if you wanted to do you know Callan Lochran coming off his loss in Paris I'd certainly watch it, but I think Callan Lochran runs through him because I just don't think Rosas is at that point yet to what you were saying, where the skills can be there, but the application of things isn't there yet. It's still just Tasmanian devil. Yep, absolutely. And and for the record, I think Brad Katona beats him too. Oh, handily. Handily. (laughs) I think there's a lot of... I think the thing for me in watching that fight... With Terrence Mitchell, as much as he got him out of there in under a minute, you said it earlier, get your hands up. Stop getting hit as much. If you're as good as you say you are, don't rely on your chin. Don't rely on your ability to eat shots. Cover up a little bit. Be defensively responsible. Get to your spots. Mm-hmm. Land your stuff. But it doesn't have to be you land one, I land one, but I land heavier. And until he figures yeah. some of that stuff out, there's going to be Every appearance is going to be a like, he should win, but maybe he won't. Yep. And you got to just start stringing together some good performances. Mm-hmm. Yep. Get your nice streak going. Yeah. I will let you get out of here. This has been an absolute pleasure. Before I do sign off, please let everybody know where they can follow you, where they can consume your content, because it is absolutely worth tuning in for, worth subscribing for. For sure. So, Making the Walk podcast um, here on YouTube, also on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And then on Twitter and Instagram, you know, at The Walk. Um, easy to find. I'm always in the mix, always talking, always commenting, always making people laugh. So, you know, find me or I'll find you. So <laughs> I will include but, uh, yeah. all of those links in the show notes. Go find Antoine. Go find the stuff he's putting out. It's good stuff. This has been amazing. I appreciate you jumping in. We will certainly do this. I want to do this. Let's do this every every few months for sure of just we get an off week. We get a Monday where we don't have a ton to talk about. Let's sit down. Let's talk about some emerging fighters. Let's talk about whatever's on our mind. I really appreciate you jumping in. For Antoine, I'm Spencer. This is the Keyboard Kimura Podcast presented by One Bone. We'll talk to you next week. 